That's, uh, that's some of our great youth leaders that we have here in our church who, um, who have set the topic for today of, I have decided to serve. And uh, Mel and I feel very privileged to get to serve alongside these guys, as well as the opportunity to lead the team. And to give you an idea of how hard these guys serve God is we, we filmed that on uh, Midnight Friday. So the team on a Friday will start setting up and getting ready for Epic at about four o'clock in the afternoon, and normally sometime early Saturday morning, uh, we ask them politely to leave our house so that we can go to bed. But as Bronte said um, in the, the clip there, we, we definitely do bribe them with food. And uh, Mel is an amazing cook, and so every fortnight we have the team over and we have dinner. And if I've ever got to call an extra meeting and say, let's get together or do this, all I've got to say is, Mel will cook schnitzels, and everyone's there. So it's great. But you saw at the end there, today, of course, we're finishing off our series of I Have Decided, where today we're looking at I Have Decided to Serve. And at the end of the clip there, we, we uh, held up the little screen, and it said Romans 12. And Romans 12 is, as, a, as youth leaders, our young adults who serve the young people of this community and this church, uh, we believe that Romans 12 is like our call to action, that this is like the, the culture of who we are and how we need to be as we serve God. And uh, we read it in the message translation, and um, we like the part that says, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. You see, we believe that deciding to serve God and serving God is not about meetings and a schedule. It's not about fitting into a certain box within church. It it literally is just taking our everyday, ordinary life, the things that we do every day, going to work, eating, sleeping, and using that as an offering to God to serve Him. And uh, a great example of that is some of our young leaders who like to skate and uh, they have the gift of balance and the gift of getting up off the ground and not acting hurt. And, um, you know, they use skating as part of their ministry and their discipleship of young people. It's their everyday, ordinary life. And, uh, and I believe that, that if, if we can capture that, to be Romans 12 people in church, that use the, that everyday, ordinary life that we have and just give it as an offering to God so He can serve, then then I could just finish right there. Because that's a whole great message in Revelation just in itself. But we're going to expand it a little bit further today. And I want to start with a story. We, we recently went on a family holiday. And uh, I promise this has relevance, so stay with me. I'm not just gloating about our road trip. But, but we, uh, we packed the kids into the car, which parents you'll know is an absolutely crazy idea. And decided to drive to the Gold Coast, which is ridiculous. It's too far, way too far. I, I, can't, I can't get over my kids. Aren't. My dad's here today, but I, I, I'm starting to sound like my dad, you know, when you say, you know, back in my day, you know. I realize I'm getting to that stage in my life because my kids will be complaining about the road trip. And I'll say, seriously, kids, you know, when I was, a, when I was young, we lived in Melbourne for a time and we'd be back and forth on school holidays and... and I remember my brother and I doing things in the back seat when we weren't fighting, like playing travel chess or counting sheep, literally. 
and, uh, or, or counting the different types of trucks that we saw on the road. And my kids have got, you know, iPads and DVD players and, and the amazing opportunity to spend time with their mum and dad, but that they still whinge and complain the whole way. Are we there yet? Oh, why can't I get internet connection? And I think, oh my goodness. <laughs> kids these days, right? All they've got to do is ask. We can hotspot. But so we went on this trip to, um, from Newcastle to the Gold Coast, and if, if, you're, um, if you're not aware, this is how far it is. It's eight hours and 22 minutes, but it feels like about seven weeks when you've got three. My, our, our kids are um, eight, six, and three, so we're not even at teenagers yet. So we, we decided to, um, to cut the trip and do it over two days. So the first night we stayed in Lismore. Now you might ask, why Lismore? Well, the person who was responsible for booking the cheap accommodation didn't realise how far from the highway Lismore was. (laughs) So we had a slight detour there, and Lismore was an event in itself. Um, But during the course of our day, we had our first stop for lunch in Coffs Harbour. Uh, We didn't get the the normal big banana photo. We, We got that on the way back. Uh, we stopped for breakfast in Port Macquarie, and as parents would know, I thought I'd show you where we stopped for child-requested toilet breaks. There we go. Because parents, you, you'll know what this is like. You, you, you barely get back out of the road from the, from the rest stop, and it, it's like they plan it. You know, just get back the car back up to speed, legal speed, and then the next one I'll say, Dad, I need to go to the toilet. Like, are you serious? We were just there. I asked you. Anyway, so that's our, that's our child-requested toilet stops. And we got to see a lot of the countryside and turned eight hours into two days, but that's all good. Um, but parents who have traveled with kids, you will know that the greatest thing to look forward to, I know I'm already looking forward to it for our next trip, is the one question you get asked. Are we there yet and it's it's great because it's like a record playing in the back seat are we there yet are we there yet how long to go are we there yet just repeats all day long so I thought considering I'm showing you the details of our road trip I will show you the first time we got a are we there yet and you'll see um we we live about here and uh, we, were, we weren't even out of our suburb. We weren't even out of Cameron Park. When five o'clock in the morning, one of the kids, I've deleted it from my memory, I can't remember which one, like kind of opened eyes and said, are we there yet? And that is the point that I realized this was going to be a very, <laughs> very long trip. But we love it. Not really. But we're always asking this question, are we there yet? Kids are always asking it. And I believe that even as we grow up and become adults, or at least the age of an adult, um, we, we still ask these questions in our journey. It might not be the journey of a, a road trip to the Gold Coast to experience theme parks and amazing rainy days that you always seem to get on holidays, but we always are still asking ourselves this question, are we there yet? It doesn't change as we become adults, as we grow up. We're still looking forward to the next destination to see if we're ready, if we're there yet. And recently, my work situation changed. So 
up until the end of last year, I had, had a job and um, we had our business that we ran and, and I finished my job last year and we're now fully trusting, relying on God in, in our business full time. And so up until the end of last year, I was my, I won't say busy, but my schedule was full. I always had plenty on. And so I always had a list of things that I was going to do when everything changed for me. The way I wanted to work, how I wanted to relax, catch up with people, schedule meetings, how I wanted to do all these things. And I'd been waiting for this day when, when I would finish my day job so that I could start to work through my list and, and, uh, and do these things that were part of a journey. And one of those things I had, um, I had promised some of the boys who haven't even turned up today, which is good, I promised them that I would go to the gym and train with them. Stupid promise to make to guys who are addicted to CrossFit because they hold you to it. And um, it, might, it might surprise you to know this, but even though I finished work at the end of last year, I haven't actually been going to the gym. I haven't started that yet. And uh, what I realized about this journey that we have in our life about are we there yet, is that we're always waiting for the next destination in our life, in our journey. And for me, I was always saying, you know, when I finish work, when I start to have more control over my schedule, then I'm going to fit in training and exercise into my schedule on a daily basis. And when I finished work, it was nearly Christmas time, so I said, well, I'm not going to start till after Christmas because that's pointless. And then it got to the after Christmas, and I thought, well, I don't want to be that guy who goes to the gym on the 1st of January. (laughs) So I thought, I better leave it another week. And then we went away on holidays, and so I said, I'll leave it till we get back then. Got back from holidays, got busy with work. I'll wait a little bit. Wait till youth starts back and we'll start to settle in. Because you see, in our life, we're always waiting until we get to the next destination to see if we're ready to go and do something. Are we there yet? I'm here. Am I ready? No, no, no. I'll just put it off until the next part of my journey. But the thing about deciding to do something, like deciding to serve God, or deciding to go to the gym with your friends and watch them work out, which I never committed to actually training. I just said I would go with them. So I'm hoping there's a coffee shop there or that sells Krispy Kreme donuts and something like that. But until we actually make the decision and realize that in our life, we're never going to feel like we're ready. We're never going to feel like we've got to a point in our journey when we're actually ready to start serving God. Until we realize that and make the decision, it'll always just be a question of, are we there yet? And the answer is always going to be no. You are never, ever going to feel like you are ready to serve God. And I actually think that's intentional. Because I feel like that if we got to a point in our life where we felt like we were able to serve God in the way that he's called us to, then we would be doing it in our own strength. And God doesn't want us to rely on our own strength. He doesn't want us to serve God out of where we're at. He wants us to step out of the boat. He wants us to take a faith step because when we do that, we have to rely upon him and not rely upon ourselves. So if you're sitting in church today and you're in this place, you know, do I decide to serve? Well, the answer is yes and now. Serving isn't being on a roster in church. Serving is doing what God has told you to do. It may be to serve in church, but there's plenty of other ways that God has called us to serve. But if you don't feel ready, if you don't feel like you're quite there yet, if you feel like 
one of my beautiful kids in the back seat of the car in the middle of nowhere saying, are we there yet? Then that's okay. Because you're not meant to feel like you're ready. You're meant to feel like and be in a position that you're ready to serve God. In our, in our youth leadership team, we have, um, we have kind of three things that are like the DNA of our culture of what it means to serve God. And I want to talk about a couple of them today, but I'll share them with you really quickly. And this may help. This may help some people. So the three things that are kind of like the basis of our ability, our culture to serve God is number one, we believe in square pegs for square holes, which is like the analogy of that, that toy game. I think Tupperware make it or something. And, and you've got to put the different shapes into the different holes to, and they don't fit if it's not the right shape. And so part of our culture of serving is that we want to find the right role for each one of us because we believe that God has given all of us a particular set of gifts and talents and skills and experiences to serve him out of and that we should never try and be the wrong kind of peg trying to fit through the wrong kind of hole. We just got to do and be in the place that God has told us to. The second one that we have is that we believe that we all have a capacity of what Jesus wants us to reach that we all have a dream and a goal and a strategy that he's given us to serving him and, and we have to reach that capacity. We talk about the gift of the talents. We want to be five talent people who use everything that God's given us, that we multiply it and make more out of it and not just bury it in the ground like that old servant. And number three, and this is probably my favorite, is that we believe that we are placed in the kingdom for a time such as this. The story of Esther, positioned in the palace for that particular moment to be used by God. And we believe that, and we will say that it doesn't matter how you ended up in youth leadership or how you ended up serving God, whether you were asked, whether you were convinced, whether you had your arm twisted, whether, like Joel said about Jason, we just desperately begged him to come and... (laughs) help us. He's an amazing guy to have on our team. We love him. But we don't believe that anyone is there by chance. We believe that we're positioned there by God to fulfill his strategy for North Lakes and the young people of our community. So they're the three things that that we look at. And I want to talk about a couple of those today as we look at this, the final week in our series of I Have Decided to Serve. And I want to read from um, John chapter 21. If you have your Bibles or if you're taking notes, or it will be on the screen. Thanks to our boys up the top there. But my, my prayer today is that this, this passage is like revelation to you. I hope that, that, uh, that this message today just isn't words. It just doesn't tickle your ears and make you feel nice or that you're wishing that it was over. But, but I just pray that that you know, this, this passage, this story of uh, Jesus' life in this part, appearing to the disciples, was something that meant so much to me when it was revealed to me about serving God. So much so that it really changed my life and my perception and my decision in how I serve God and how I do that. And this story is the, the last chapter in John. And it's a time when when um, Jesus had been crucified, he'd been resurrected, he'd met the disciples a couple of times. And, uh, and we kind of joined the story there when 
I imagine that the disciples are sitting around in a room just waiting for something to happen. Jesus had appeared to them a couple of times and, um, and now, they're just happen- now they're just hanging out waiting. So verse 1, after this, Jesus appeared again to the disciples, this time at the Tiberias Sea, the Sea of Galilee, and this is how he did it. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the brothers Zebedee, and two other disciples were together, just hanging out in a room. Think about this. You'd spent a few years with Jesus, being discipled by Jesus himself. He'd promised you and told you all these prophecies of the future of the kingdom coming. Imagine the life that these guys had dreamed for serving God. Imagine the the passion that had been inside of them at the time when they saw things that he had said come to pass, when he had been crucified, when he had been resurrected, when he rose again. And suddenly, these guys just find themselves hanging out in a room, playing cards, Xbox, something. They've got this passion inside them. They've got this vision that life would be completely different serving God. That it wasn't meant to look like this. The kingdom of God was supposed to come to Jerusalem. Something amazing was supposed to happen. And all of a sudden, they're just sitting around twiddling their thumbs. You know, I want to ask you this morning, it's a question for all of us. Have you ever served God? Have you ever responded to the call of God? Have you ever done something in church or in ministry or in some other way to serve God, but found yourself sitting around in a room thinking it was never meant to be like this? I had visions. I had dreams. People had prophesied great things over my life. Leadership had said things to me, but here I am sitting around in a room. Not the way that it was meant to be. I can imagine this is exactly how the disciples felt after all that time with Jesus hearing the incredible things that he had said would come to pass. And here they are playing Xbox. So Peter says what what many a man have said. I'm going fishing. (laughs) I would never say that. (laughs) Because fishing for me has very little to do with fish. It has a lot to do with casting and getting bait all over my fingers and very little to do with, I very rarely see a fish on the rare chance that I go fishing. But what we've got to understand about Peter is this wasn't just a recreational activity for him to make this decision. He wasn't just saying, you know what, I'm a bit bored. Let's throw the tinny in the water and, and head out, dodge sharks and catch some fish. He, you see, he was, before he was a disciple, he was a fisherman. So his decision right here, in a time of deciding to serve God or not, was not about filling in time and going fishing. He was actually deciding to go back to the way things were. He was actually saying, you know what? My life hasn't ended up the way I thought it would be. Serving God isn't all that I was promised, that I thought it was going to be. So I'm going to go back to the thing that I know. I'm going to go back to the thing that I used to do because I've tried it and it hasn't worked out. Have we... Have you, have I ever been in a position where you not only served God and didn't find that it was the way that you thought it was going to be, but you thought, you know what, it's easier for me just to go back to the way that it used to be. 
And this is what Peter did. So just like men will do, the rest of them replied, we're going with you. We'll go and catch some fish. So they went out and got in the boat. They caught nothing that night. And when the sun came up, Jesus was standing on the beach, but they didn't recognize him. Jesus spoke to them, good morning. Did you catch anything for breakfast? Now, just a tangent. Don't ever say that to a guy who's been fishing all night and hasn't caught anything. Like if I fish for 10 minutes and someone says that to me, I'm going to really have to center myself before I respond. But let alone if I had been fishing all night long and hadn't caught a single thing. Don't come rocking up to me with your smiley face and ask me if I've got anything for breakfast. Anyway, back on. Did you catch anything for breakfast? They answered very politely, no. He said, throw the net off the right side of the boat and see what happens. Anyone who fishes here, do you love advice from carpenters? Do you love spending a whole night fishing and then have some guy turned up who's done nothing in his life except eat fish? Tell you, why don't you, you know, try a different lure? We tried throwing out over there. Just me? That's why I don't fish. But I can, I want to think about what these, what was going through these guys' heads. These men were fishermen. They were adults before they became disciples of Christ. This was their career. Not only that, the culture, the the where they were in the world meant that their fathers were most probably fishermen. Their grandfathers, their brothers, their their uncles, everybody they knew was fishing. Everything they knew about was fishing. They'd been out in the boat the whole night long trying to catch fish in waters they had fished for their entire life. Do you think they had not tried to throw their net off the right side of the boat the whole night? Do you think that when Jesus yelled out to them, throw your net off the right side of the boat, they went, you're right. We tried the left, we tried the front, we tried the back. He's right, let's try the right hand side. We didn't think of that. We've only been fishing for 30 years in these waters. We've been out here all night. We didn't even think to try throwing our nets off the right hand side of the boat but they did they did even though the voices of their past their experiences their natural skills their own strength was telling them that they had probably tried it all before that it was never going to work what's the difference between the left hand side and the right hand side of the boat are the fish more picky do they have a better side Even though they had tried it all before, they still decided to listen to the master. In serving God, have you ever found yourself in a position where you're out on a boat and you have tried everything? You've exhausted everything that you know, every experience that you've had, every skill. Have you ever been in a position like that in serving God? Thankfully, They did what he said. All of a sudden, there were so many fish in it, they weren't strong enough to pull it in. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the master. When Simon Peter realized it was the master, he threw on some clothes. Let's leave that one. For he was stripped for work and dove into the sea. 
The other disciples came in by boat, for they weren't far from the land, a hundred yards or so, pulling along the net full of fish. And when they got out of the boat, they saw a fire laid with fish and bread cooking on it. Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've just caught. And Simon Peter joined them and pulled the net to shore. 153 big fish. And even with all those fish, the net didn't rip. Just look to the person next to you and act really surprised and tell them that the net didn't rip. Go on. It's surprising. The net didn't rip. See, the situation these guys were in, and you might relate to some of this, and I I hope that we do. These were guys who were unhappy about the way things had worked out in serving God. They were tired of doing it in their own strength. They tried everything before, hundreds of times, everything they knew, and it hadn't worked out. But see, this is the great thing. You see, it doesn't matter where you are, where you've been, or what you've done. Whether you're tired, exhausted, tried it all before. If the master calls you to action, you will see fruit. Even if you have slaved all night with those nets in that boat, with all those men who are half undressed for work, it doesn't matter if the master has told you to jump to action, to do something to serve God, then you will see the fruit that you have longed for. It will happen. When it's the instruction of the master. Here's the point that I want to make today in this whole message. And and I hope that it's something that the Holy Spirit can really impart into our lives as individuals who make up this church. Because this is the greatest revelation about serving God that I've had in my few short years. You see, the Gospel of John was written about 90 AD. That would mean it was written about 60 years after this event even happened. It wasn't a, a dialogue on the, on the day. The author didn't go home and write what happened. He wrote it in a few series, they believe, but around 90 AD, 60 years after this happened. And so that made me consider the importance of the details that were put into this message, into, recorded in the scripture. It didn't just say they caught a lot of fish that day and it was great. They were actually, 60 years after the event, still specific that 153, not about 150, not what a fisherman would say and really say, you know, 300, But they were so specific, 153 large fish, yet the net did not break. And I had to spend time thinking about that. And what I realized is that the author was writing this in the context and two people who understand fishing. It was a way of life. Every family would have or know of fishermen. Every fisherman would be generational in their career to do that. Everybody who the author thought would read this assumed that they would know everything about fishing. It was kind of like 
It'd kind of it'd be like if in Newcastle they were writing about coal mining or about surfing or about football. You know, you don't have to be a football player to know that if I told you that the score was 200 to 3, then you know it was a pretty interesting game. You know that it was something significant. You don't have to be a footballer to know that, but the author must have assumed that we would all know fishing. Because for us, 153 large fish that didn't break a net is just a story in the Bible, right? We don't know about fishing. I don't know how many fish it would take to break a net. But I do know that on this day, 153 large fish did not break a net. And that made me realize something. And this is what I pray that we catch as a church. Is that it was important to record it because everybody in Galilee at that time must have been talking because they knew that any other time, On any other given day, 153 large fish must surely break nets, must surely tear them to shreds. It must have been known that it was impossible for a fisherman to bring in 153 fish without a net being damaged. But there's something that was different about this day. There was something that's different about this time when the men fished. It was that the master instructed them and you see this is the greatest thing that I believe we can catch no pun intended this is the greatest thing that I believe we can catch today about serving God and it's this if the master calls you to action if the master says throw your nets on the other side of the boat regardless of where you feel you are on the journey regardless of if you're asking the question am I there yet regardless if you are a broken vessel restored back to life regardless of your skills your education where you are where you've been it doesn't matter if the master calls you to action and tells you to do something you have the capacity to do it without your nets being torn and you see that point alone makes every excuse that we have completely invalid I don't have time I'm waiting till my kids grow up I don't have a spare night in the week to do something that God's called me to do. I don't have the skills. I haven't been a Christian long enough. I'm barely out of Cameron Park and I'm asking, am I there yet? How can I serve God? All your excuses are invalid with respect. Because if the master says to you, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat, he knows better than you do. He knows better than I do. The capacity of what your net can handle And you will drag in 153 large fish, more than you ever thought that you could catch, more than the voices in your past, the people standing on the beach will be surprised because if the master calls you to action, you have the capacity within you. There's no excuse that is valid anymore because if he calls you from the beach and says, I want you to go and serve here, I want you to go and serve there. It is not for us to decide whether our nets can handle it. As Jesus said in John chapter 10.10, that he didn't come to destroy life. He didn't come to destroy nets. I love the message. He came to give you a life better than you could ever dream of. And the master would not instruct you from the beach to throw your nets if it was going to destroy your life. He knows that listening to him 
is the greatest thing you can do. Because you already have the capacity to achieve every dream that is put in your heart. We talked about this as youth leaders last year because we said, we came to the realization that every dream in our heart, every strategy that God's given us, every goal that's come from God, that he would not have given it to our team if we didn't have the capacity in our nets to handle it. And I hope that means something to you today. Any dream that's in your heart that God has given you, any prophetic word, anything that you have ever been given a vision about achieving and serving God, he didn't just yell that instruction from the beach just for something to do. He yelled it to you and gave it to you because he knew that your nets would not break. You might feel inadequate. You might feel like you can't do it. That's not what he sees. He sees the capacity that you have. So decide to serve today. Because the master is calling you from the beach, giving you instruction on what to do. What if you can't hear him? What if the wind and the waves are too loud? What if the voices in the boat are too much? What if the experiences of what you know about fishing are louder than the voice of the master? Well, it's easy. You just got to row a bit closer to the beach. You just got to get a bit closer to the master. Because the master is always going to be telling you to throw your nets. He's never standing there quiet. He's always waiting for us to decide to serve him. If you can't hear his voice, if you don't know what to do, you've got to row a little bit closer. You have to decide to pray, decide to worship, decide to read, decide to tell others. And when you decide to do those four things, you will be so close to the master that you will hear the instruction of how to serve. I'll get the band to join me on stage. I want to finish by looking at Romans 12 again. The absolute call to action for serving God. Romans 12 from the message translation. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Row the boat a little closer. Because you'll be changed from the inside out. That's interesting. On the outside, we're always saying, are we there yet, right? But serving God is changed from the inside out. You don't see that stuff straight away. You have to actually decide to serve and chase God before you are changed. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. 
God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I pray that we decide to serve, no matter how we feel, no matter how many toilet stops we've made on the way to the Gold Coast. That we might just be on a journey, but we're never going to feel ready until we make the decision to serve. Until we trust the master's voice. And I pray that as a church of individuals, a church, a community centered on Christ, that we will all decide to serve him. Not join a ministry, but to serve God so that we can be the church that he has called us to be. Because each one of us is important to the other. We're placed here for a time such as this. You're not here by chance. You're here because the master needs you to help catch 153 big fish. So as we worship, I just want to keep it simple. And we're going to sing a great worship song. And so why don't we stand up and And if you can't hear the master's voice, if you need to row a little bit closer, then I encourage you, come down the front and our church leaders will pray for you. But let's pray. Let's worship. Let's press into God. Let's hear the master's voice. Let's quickly respond to what he asks of us. So we can see those 153 big fish brought to the beach without anyone's net being broken. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to great things. That you have gifted us in ways to serve you that are unique to ourselves. That you have positioned us in this community for this time for your kingdom, Lord. And I pray that as a church, we will decide to serve, that we will listen to the master's voice, that we will trust your voice and not the voice of our past or our experiences or the people around us, but we will trust in you, Lord, that we would see great fruit, that in choosing to serve, we would become a church that advances your kingdom, that builds your church and changes this culture. And Lord, we pray that you keep us rowing close so that we can hear your voice. We thank you, Lord. Amen.